0: I am still a W-2 earner. Again, nothing wrong with that. Taxes should be a priority. Let's put that aside and then look at the other parts of your overall wealth strategy and then make decisions from that.
1: You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here, together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. And today we have a special treat for you because we are talking to the one, the only Cashflow Ninja MC Lobsher. He's going to be back on the podcast here today. He was one of the original guests on this podcast way back in episode number four. So if you haven't already, go go back to episode 4 listen to MC's full story because it's going to give you so much more context into everything that we're talking about today big focus of which is MC's new book it's called the 21 best cash flow niches creating wealth in the best alternative cash flow investments Now, of course, in the episode, we don't get into all 21 niches, but I just want to read them out for you because there's so many interesting asset classes out there that most people have no idea that you can even invest in. So check this out. All right. Niche number one, businesses, turnkey real estate, multifamily real estate, which many of you are already invested in, hospitality investing. Mobile home parks, self-storage facilities, parking garages, cell tower investments. How interesting is that, right? Commercial real estate, triple net leases, assisted living and memory care facilities, land investing, agriculture investing, energy investments, music royalties. This one we get into in the conversation here shortly. ATM investing stock market cash flow, mortgage notes, tax liens, merchant cash advance, private lending, stable coin cash flow, and then he also includes bonuses in the book. So here are a few more. Life settlements, litigation finance, structured settlements, fine artwork, and equipment leasing. Now, is your mind just blown or what? My mind is blown. Just going through that list. Wow, there's so many different things that you can invest in, right? It's like, when we're growing up, we're taught about the stock market, right? Stocks and bonds, maybe annuities, maybe some life insurance. But that's really as far as most people's financial education goes. But to think about life settlements, Music royalties, investing in fine art, investing in agriculture. These are things that most people don't dig far enough to learn about. And in this conversation, MC really digs in and shares how do you determine which ones are right for you, right? Because you could spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, digging into all of these things, and you probably, there would be no end because there's so much information out there. So, you really want to do your due diligence up front to figure out first, what are your own goals? And second, what are the different profiles of these different niches? What do they offer both in the short term and the long term? And how can you create a balanced portfolio for you and your family based on your needs and your goals. So he dives into all of that different things to think about, how to put your money to work for you, what these different niches, the pros and cons of some of them and how to go about learning more about the ones that might be right for you. So definitely a powerful, powerful episode. So many valuable things. As as you guys may know, MC is the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. It started as a podcast. Now it's a full educational platform. And of course, now his book is part of that as well. But as of this recording, he has over 800 episodes on his podcast, which means he's done all that legwork and talking to all these different people in different asset classes and really digging and mining out that gold and putting that into this conversation today as well as his book. And so definitely listen all the way through the end because at the end, not only are we going to share with you how to get a copy of the book, but MC is also going to share with you how to get access to a ton of bonus goodies once you do get a copy of the book that are really going to shortcut your time and provide a ton of value for your investing journey. Well, speaking of books... Don't forget, on top of MC's book, if you are new to real estate investing and in particular multifamily real estate syndication and you want to dig in further there, then a great compliment to MC's book is to also get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And in it, we'll walk you through all the ins and outs of what real estate syndication is all about, the returns that you can expect, the hold times, the risks, all of that stuff. And we've got a free hardcover copy for each and every one of you just go to goodeginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with MC Lobsher. MC,
0: welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you for having me back on. Super excited to talk to you again. I've been fantastic. How about you guys?
1: Excellent. Excellent. Now, MC, you are one of the OG. You were originally on the podcast over 100 100- episodes ago, which is so hard to believe. Episode number four, back when we were still trying to figure out this whole podcasting thing. And you were so gracious to come on the show and share your story. And it's still to this day, one of our most popular episodes. So for all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, definitely go back all the way back to episode number four. There's a ton of value there. That was the first time that MC came on the show. But Today, MC, we're thrilled to have you back on the show specifically to talk about your new book, The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches, which I know our listeners are going to love. It's everything that we talk about on this podcast. But before we dive into those niches, for those listeners who may not have heard the original conversation we had with you on the podcast, tell everyone a little bit about your background and what led you into this space in the first place.
0: Absolutely, and congratulations to you both on this fantastic show. I'm honored to be one of the OGs on the show, and <laughs> just it's so exciting to see all of your success and what a great show you guys have. So, congratulations on that. I'm originally from South Africa, so that's hence the South African <laughs> the South African accent. I came to the United States in 2001. And I have to say, when I first came to the US too, and I came here with a backpack, a suitcase, you know, 500 bucks and sense of humor, sense of adventure, but I was so just blown away with the opportunities that exist in this incredible country, which I don't think people realize how big it is too. Even the folks that live here, but incredible opportunities, there is incredible upside mobility and opportunity for that. And that's why you have so many rags to riches stories, right? And it's interesting to see a lot of immigrants come here and they're very successful because they see it that the abundant opportunities isn't necessarily available everywhere in the world. So I was very excited in the US. I have a background in history and economics and in finance and originally ended up here playing sports. But as I was doing sports, I started my investing career and I actually started in 2001 in single family, buying my first property. And then of course, then learning through the hard school of Knox throughout the rest of the year. So you become an investor by taking action and being an investor, right? Just be do have. And I did while I was pursuing my career in sports. And as I was doing that, I learned other things that became very valuable to me besides loving cash flow. I learned that. Well, the other thing that it seems to me that Cashflow Ninjas, as I've studied them, have figured out is being their own bank, which then I focused on that. And then also I focused on how to be a person of value to partner with folks on a lot of different projects. Through the years, cashflow has been a central theme of everything that I do and something that I'm passionate about. And eventually I started several businesses Most of them were not successful. Some of them became very successful. And the businesses that I have today, one of them is Cashflow Ninja that started as a podcast. It's now a full-blown educational company. I started that in 2015. It's crazy how time flies. But other companies that I have too is Producers Wealth. We help folks with a cashflow management strategy. Most folks know it as infinite banking or bank on yourself. We help folks in all over the United States virtually do that. And then I also have a company called Producers Capital Partners, where we look at resorts and multifamily real estate and other alternative investments. So cash flow has been the central theme, and I've always been excited about that. There's so many ways that cash flow influences everything that we do, and that's, I think what most folks would know me by is for the cash flow ninja, the crazy yellow little ninja with the purple background and <laughs> yeah, the purple splash.
1: There's so many great themes in everything that you just said right there. There's so many good nuggets. There's, you're talking about taking action and not just sitting there, but having a side hustle, trying things, cash flow, the importance of cash flow, the importance of adding value and partnerships and all of this stuff. So I wanted to dig in a little bit further because I think a lot of our investors or our listeners are investing in real estate in some form or fashion. So they've gotten, that part down, or they're at least dabbling there, how do you then expand beyond that? Right, Where do you go next? If you want to, let's say you're investing, maybe some listeners are investing in single family homes, just like you did, or had started back in 2001. And they're like, cool, this is working. Maybe I'll try something else. Where do they go? How do they get started?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think The way to approach this is, as an investor, is to always look at what do you have, what do you want it to do for you, what is it supposed to be doing, and how does it fit into your overall strategy? So when you build out a cash flow portfolio, and most folks start, let's just say, with single family, or maybe they start with multifamily, they start in real estate. And of course, there's many other alternative asset classes, which you could get wild on, but those are sort of the gateways of alternative invest asset investing is real estate. But once you are invested as a real estate investor and you're looking for ways to build a cash flow portfolio, you're some, some things to think about. Everything has to do a job. So they're all like little. I would say they're all employees. All of these different asset classes and investments in your cash flow little empire. So what are they doing? What are their jobs? Is it an investment or an asset that is really playing a role in reducing your taxes? Is it an investment or an asset class that produces really aggressive cash flow uh, that's going to help you become financially independent and financially free? Is it an asset, a clause, or investment? That has a huge upside potential. So that's going to appreciate in value significantly because it could help you with taxes, reduce taxes. It could provide cash flow or it could provide a lot of appreciation. So those are the things to keep in mind when you're looking at different asset classes, And there are certain ones that play different roles. So I'll give some examples. When you look at taxes, there are energy investments, let's just say, that are very powerful, whether it be oil and gas, different types of energy, even the new greener projects that are out there. There's very, very good tax incentives for them. So that might be part of your cash flow portfolio where yes, it creates a little bit of cash flow for you, not a lot of appreciation, but it plays a big role in reducing your footprint with regards to taxes. Then there could be something that is very, very powerful in cash flow and very heavy on cash flow, but it doesn't quite have the tax, the, the, the massive tax benefits or appreciation upside. And then there could be, for example, a play that isn't really a cash flow play, doesn't really do anything on taxes, but has a significant upside potential for you like something life settlements. It plays a role in your overall portfolio and having all of these things in place is very important. And then of course, there are asset classes that have all three of them. You know, and there's some of the favorite ones. And that's why we love real estate and especially multifamily real estate because they're great on taxes, they're great on cash flow, and they're great on the appreciation side. So that's the things that I would advise folks to think about. It's not just, ooh, this is attractive or the new shiny object or great cocktail party conversation, but it's like, no, no, what is it actually doing for you? Because one asset or investment makes sense for someone else but not necessarily for you. So figure out what it's supposed to do in this little cash flow empire that you're building as an employee in that cash flow empire.
2: So I'm curious, MC, on your book, is your book organized in this way where you talk about sort of these three different buckets in the different niches? Is that how it's organized? Or talk to us a little
0: bit about that. Yeah, so in the book, what I did was, and the question that kept coming up was, "You've interviewed the best minds in business and investing for over six years, is like over eight hundred episodes. What are some of the most interesting investment opportunities?" And I was chewing on that a little bit, and I'm like, "Hmm, well, maybe I should write a book about it." I asked someone, a friend of mine. I said, "I think I have an idea for this book of like putting all of the best investment ideas all together in a book." And he goes, "Have you written the book yet?" And I said, "No." He's like why haven't you? It'll be a great book. So I go, okay, I guess. And that friend of mine has written several books and has been on bestseller lists and so forth. So you could take it from where things come. I'm like, I think I have an idea here. But I organized the book. I started with, again, sort of asset classes that folks would be familiar with, business, single family, multifamily. And then I kind of just put some interesting ones together. So I didn't classify it by that but it's in a random order too, because the question that I get is, is it from one to 21? Like is your best ones? And I knew that would come up. So intentionally I just randomized those kinds of ones, but yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of reflection, but yeah, all of these different things fall into those categories in some way, shape or form. And then there's other things that you could also consider is risk from a risk management standpoint and hedging you might be in one asset class but another asset class might be a great risk management strategy or a hedging strategy for the asset class that you're heavily invested in there might be an asset class that could stabilize your cash flow portfolio and there's some great niches that allows you to do that and then there's some asset classes that are totally uncorrelated to anything, <laughs> and whether they be economy, whether it be markets, anything, those might be some great ones to take a look at too. For when you build out a cash flow portfolio,
1: everything that you're saying right now is so good for not only our listeners to think about. It's good for me to think about because as I'm approaching new investments, I fell into this trap recently. I'm like, "Well, multifamily has all these things. Okay, now I'm going to go explore this one." But wait. What about the taxes? This one doesn't have the taxes. Cross that off my list. Well, this one doesn't have the cash. we cross that off my list. But I love what you're saying, that every different asset class or type has a purpose and not everyone's going to have the exact same profile. So you got to figure out what's currently in your portfolio, where the needs are and have that long view. And as you're talking, I don't know why this came up, but it just came up in my head thinking about shoes. I'm not a big shoe person, but when thinking about shoes, right? Every pair of shoes has a purpose, right? You got your tennis shoes. It's good for long walks, comfortable, easy to put on, right? That's like your, maybe like your multifamily hits a lot of the boxes, right? But Right. You're getting dressed up and you want pumps or heels or whatever, you might not be as comfortable, but it serves a different purpose. And you need all these different varieties in your overall portfolio. Yeah. And- I think one thing I will say on that
2: too is around the goals, right? Like, what are your goals? Because people come to me all the time and they're like, well, should I make this investment or not? And I'm like, but first of all, I'm not in a position to advise you on what investment to make or not make. But I think just thinking about like, what are your goals? And this is when I first started. And when I was listening to your podcast way back when MC, when I was still had my job and all of that was, I was thinking about what is my goal? And my goal at the time was that I wanted my money to work as hard as possible for me. And if anyone goes back and listens to that fourth episode that we did with MC, when I heard him say that the first time on the podcast was when I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want my money to do for me. I wasn't sure how to put that into words because it wasn't so much about cash flow, It wasn't about appreciation, whatever it was, I wanted it to work like three times, four times, five times as hard for me, which is where the infinite banking strategy comes in as well. Thinking about your goals is really where, how you're going to help decide which one of those buckets is important for you. Because in each phase of your life, different things are going to be important for you and as they should be, right? Like when you're older, you might not need the appreciation so much and you might want more of the cash flow. And when you're younger, you really should be focusing on the appreciation because you have that time horizon in front of you, right? So thinking about what your goals are, I think are really important as well.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful and it's great, great information because in book two, I share that there's a couple of things. And I love frameworks and models and coming up with my own ones. And I share this one framework where you essentially have to make your money somehow. And we all make our money some way, shape or form, whether it's active or passive income. And it's just a lot of folks are, well, I just need to be passive. I still have active income. Everybody has some way of active income coming in in a certain way with your passive, but look at how you're generating your income. That's one part of it. Then it's capital positioning and allocating capital a certain way that's efficient. And then you can eventually leverage to do more than one thing for you and then deploying it into a cash flow portfolio with some growth and then protecting everything that you have through tax strategy, asset protection, and estate planning. Now, the important thing is when you're trying to figure out your plan alongside with your goals, let's just say you are a very successful professional, whether it be sales, medical, legal, and so forth, that's where you start and that's how you're making your money your main focus will be much different, for example, that someone that has already have a lot of passive income that offsets taxes. Your main priority would be, hmm, I might have to find something that reduces my taxes so that I can keep more of my money. And now I get to combine the money that I save through taxes with other income and then now I'm purchasing other asset classes real estate and so forth so there's many different things to consider in all parts of your economy it's funny when it comes to wealth and cash flow we seem to kind of compartmentalize everything right and look at just one thing at a time but i always say it's no different than health you have to holistically look at it you have to eat properly, have a proper diet, you have to exercise, you have to hydrate with water and get proper rest and recovery, and eventually you'll be healthier. <laughs> but all those things, I mean, it doesn't help. You're not eating properly, but you're exercising and you're not sleeping and it's out of balance and out of whack. So when it comes to uh, creating a wealth strategy and cash flow, it's important to look at all those different things because bringing them all together will give you a picture to say, oh, I am a, still a W-2 earner. Again, nothing wrong with that. Taxes should be a priority. Let's put that aside and then look at the other parts of your overall wealth strategy and then make decisions from that.
1: We'll get back to our conversation with MC in just a minute.
3: Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country, and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals.
1: And now, back to our chat with MC Lobsher. I love that. Sometimes it
2: seems so daunting, right? Like this idea of like investing money and you're like, "Ah, I don't even know where to start or how to even think about this. And it always starts with a solid framework. And so I love that's in your book. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the 21 different niches. Now, we can't go into all of them here today on the show, but I I do have the book. Thank you for sending me a copy of that. And I did peek around and it's so awesome because it gives you a little high-level overview into each one of those asset classes. But tell us a little bit about maybe your top three favorite asset classes that you included in the book and why those were included? And maybe one or two like alternative ones that maybe other people like our audience might not have heard of to consider as well.
0: Yeah, I'll start with, I shared that you need to look at things that can stabilize a portfolio and things that are uncorrelated. So maybe that'll help your listeners too if I bring it together and give them some examples of that. So the one thing that really blew my mind And I find these things fascinating. Is the asset clause of agriculture. Now we all know agriculture. We're familiar with farmland and livestock and produce and that kind of, and crops. And when you start looking in that asset clause at a niche, I found that one really just popped up. And it was this one of timber, but inside of timber, teak. And I looked at this and I go, this is fascinating. And then I started to research a little bit and I saw that. It was institutional investors. It was hedge funds. It was families. It was family offices. There are folks like Ted Turner. He has a massive position in Teak specifically. And I find that fascinating. So I reached out to some of my friends and family offices too. I said, do some of these families do they have allocations towards that? And they go, Oh yeah. And not small, large. And again, then the next question is, why? Why do they have so much in that? And then I remember the one gentleman his response was, Well, you know, MC, what did trees do five years ago? I said, Well, I guess they grew. He goes, Bingo. What are trees doing today? They're growing. What are trees going to do five to 10 to 20 to 30 years from now? They're just going to grow. So he was just sharing with me. This is how you stabilize a portfolio. So these families that just Look at a family office. They're involved in their businesses. They have a ton of exposure to great multifamily real estate and other real estate assets. But what that asset clause did for them in that niche was stabilize it because even if there's an economic recession, a deflationary economy instead of just an inflationary one, the trees are just going to keep producing producing growth for them. And then of course, it's big picture. It's long-term. It's generational. It's not just Today, it's 30 years from now, it's 50 years, this piece of land with these trees that are being farmed and being sold off for cash flow, the one way to pass along generational wealth. So I found that fascinating. That's what I wanted to share that to stabilize a portfolio. Another asset class, which I share, which I talk about in the book, which is very intriguing too, is music royalties. Now, This is another one that was wild because I just sat down and I thought for a second, I said, music royalties. And then I thought to myself, what happens when people are depressed and it's a down economy? Well, they listen to music. What happens when people are happy and excited? Well, listen to music. So you will always going to listen to music. So what is the business side look of it? And it was fascinating to find out that a lot of artists or even their labels, they don't own all the rights to their royalties. They actually have outside investors that buys a portion of their royalties and they generate royalties from these musicians from the songs. So it's an uncorrelated asset class in an economy where it doesn't matter what happens in the economy or in markets, you're still generating royalties from it. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And a lot of people... I've recently saw, too, because there was a lot of stuff in the news about artists and music and Spotify and all this kind of stuff. They started to realize that there's actually institutional investors now positioned in that space, too, buying a lot of music royalties. Now, why would an artist sell music royalties was my next question it would be uh, this is great for an investor but why would they do that we saw the and in the book i share what happened to Michael Jackson's estate and how profitable that the royalties are and there's also other artists like m M&M, for example that sold off a portion of his royalties to raise funds for his next project which I find fascinating. If you're an investor, by the way, you want to partner with an artist or buy a portion of the royalties, you never want to own all of it because then what is the incentive for the musician to keep playing those songs and promoting it and you're sort of having interest aligned just in, as in any other investment class, right? Those are two examples of one of stabilizing, one that's uncorrelated. And then I'll share the interesting one of the hospitality space. And we all know how that's changed. And people would say, Hospitality? Generally across the board, it's a terrible asset class right now. Terrible. They've been hit very, very hard of what's been going on in the last couple of years. But within hospitality, you know, the way that we live change, the way that we work change, the way that we travel change. So there's been unique opportunities in short-term rental properties. So within hospitality, so how many folks do I talk to right now when they're traveling? They don't stay in hotels anymore. They stay in Airbnbs, for example, or VRBOs. So especially on the luxury side of that, on the short-term rental market, in properties that are positioned well... humans, the strange creatures that we are. We love water. So oceans and lakes, we love mountains, properties and mountains. They've done very, very well and they continue to do well. And I only see this continuing to do well and regardless of the economy, especially if you bought in the right areas and you're positioned in kind of the luxury end of it.
1: So fascinating. All these different, it's things that you don't even think about like the music royalties and the teak and the I mean it's like venturing beyond I mean your daily use right because we use yes. a lot of these things in our daily use like there I have wood furniture I have teak furniture I listen to music Julie listens to all kinds of music so she's going to go buy some MM royalties I'm sure <laughs> but just thinking beyond that it's almost like when you're investing in the stock market and you think about these different companies what are the purposes of the companies but this is so cool because it's thinking beyond Beyond like your daily use, the things that you're using in your daily life, why you're using those, other people are using those, and how you can go behind the scenes and sort of invest in these alternative asset classes. This is so neat. Yeah. One thing that
2: comes to mind as we're talking about this MC that has sort of been a big question of mine since I got into this space is the question around access. So when I first got into this space, I feel so blessed to have stumbled across bigger pockets one day when I was like Googling something on the internet and that's how I met you. And that's how I met Annie through other connections that I made there. But when we think about these types of investments, how do people go about finding The opportunity to invest, because what if somebody is listening and they're like, wow, this sounds really interesting. I want to invest in a farm or invest in trees or the music royalty thing sounds amazing. I'd love to take a part of my portfolio and invest there. How do people get into these types of opportunities? Where do they go? Is there a central place or how do people find them?
0: No, there's no central place for it, really. But that's sort of the platform that I've been trying to create is including all these folks and having folks then vet the people that I have conversations with and then eventually look at their offerings. I don't include that obviously in the book for many, many different reasons. (laughs) And I mean, you could do online searches too to find folks. And I would also just caution folks do the same type of due diligence and the things that you've learned as being an investor in real estate. Yes, the asset class might change, but it's the same steps essentially that you go through in vetting these folks and doing your research on them and make sure that. They're desirable versus undesirable. And then also make sure that all the things that you're looking for in investment check your boxes. Yeah, you can do the online searches, but I know there's a lot of real estate platforms that are sort of one central thing where folks can jump on, but not really for this yet. I've been trying to create it on my platform, but yeah, yeah, it's incredible the different types of niches. I'll share one more with you because there is sort of, yeah, there's sort of a central place for a lot of those type of investments. I share a different angle to approach this particular asset class, which is a lot of different, I would say, a lot of different ideas. And it's got this kind of this mystique about it, but cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Now, when I say that, folks think Bitcoin, Ethereum, and doggy coin, Mm -hmm. and Elon Musk tweets. (laughs) <laughs> and that's all, that's about as far as we that's get. Like
2: that. You just read my mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what I share in the book too, is I share a strategy and I call it the California gold rush strategy. And this is what I've actually, I've tried to observe, and this is what I try to usually do is look at. What are some of the most successful people doing actually in asset classes? So there were a number of folks that caught my eye and I started to see what they were doing inside of crypto and currencies and blockchain, that space. And they're not buying doggy coins and hoping it goes out and cries when Elon tweets. What they're actually doing is the California gold rush strategy is they're looking at, okay, there's gold that's going to be mined. Let's figure out a way to invest as an investor in businesses that provides the picks, the shovels, the equipment for mining, the clothes like Levi Strauss did, the housing, the entertainment, restaurants, that kind of stuff, financial services like Wells Fargo, and more. So I'll give you two examples of how folks are doing it in that space. In a space that is very mysterious The smartest people on the planet is in there. That's why they're so far ahead of their regulators all the time. But essentially... What niche do you think is going to benefit from that? Well, a lawyer needs to be all over this. Imagine you have a legal firm in the crypto and blockchain space, or you as a business owner or an investor can invest in a company that's going to provide legal counsel in that space. I don't think you're going to ever run out of work. It's the same as the cannabis kind of opportunity where everybody wanted to invest in the farm and the growers and sort of the retail or the distribution or the retail side of it. What if you were an investor that invested in a law firm that operates in cannabis, you're never going to run out of work either. And I think you're going to be very profitable. The same thing with crypto. Another thing is most people have, let's just say they bought coins, for example. Well, how do you give those coins or hand that over upon passing through estate planning to your children, your grandchildren, and so forth? That hasn't really been created yet. They're in the process of creating it. So as a legal firm, that's a huge opportunity. And there are companies like that that you can invest in as an investor, a passive investor in that space. And that is a little bit different than just buying doggy corn, right? And it's the same way with taxes, Do you think that there's going to be taxes to be paid in crypto? Oh, boy, oh, boy. The IRS, oh, they're just licking their fingers right now. And there's a lot of things tax-wise going to happen in that space. So what if there's a tax firm that somebody creates servicing specifically to the crypto space? Well, what if you as a passive investor can invest in that? So now all of a sudden, you're not just speculating, you're positioning yourself as an investor in a niche which is due for explosive growth, but it's more strategically done than just let's buy a doggy coin and hope it goes up. Another way of doing it too, and this is already kind of a little bit too late on this, but this is what really caught my eye about the very successful investors in that space is they were actually investing in Cryptocurrency trading platforms. So, one of the folks that I've kind of looked up to as a mentor in that space was one of the first investors in Coinbase, which has now gone public. It was one of the first investors in Kraken, which is not public yet, but they will eventually go public. They've got a banking license in the United States. Now, imagine you were investing as an investor, an early investor in those offerings. And I'm sure it's going to be the same thing for companies and in the legal space, in the tax space.
2: Oh man, so much good stuff. If anyone listening is going to be like, man, I need like five hours to sit down in front of my computer and like dig in and just go down a black hole into the Google universe to discover all of these interesting strategies. There's so many things that you, other asset classes that you talk about in the book as well that are so fascinating to me, not life insurance, but what was the one that you- The
0: life settlements. Yeah, Life
2: settlements. That one has always been, tell us a little bit real briefly before we move on, but tell us a little bit of what is the life settlements all about?
0: Yeah. So it's essentially opportunity. There's life settlement companies that buy life insurance contract from folks, from sellers. And there's a win-win situation. At first, when you look at this, you go, Ooh, this looks a little bit sleazy, but it's not. If you lift up the hood and you start to see that there's a lot of folks that they're either very sick, they're old and they're out of money. Unfortunately, most Americans, their savings is in their home or in, let's just say, the stock market through a 401k. Now, let's just say in 2008, 2009, somebody became really sick, or they're old and sick, and they have no assets, but they have a life insurance policy, let's just say, with a death benefit of a million, and they have maybe $50,000 in cash value in that policy. Well, they can sell it for a multiple of four to five times to a fund, which will then pay them, and let's just say in that example, they'll get two hundred and fifty, or maybe even three hundred thousand dollars for that. Now, all of a sudden, they have money to live out the remainder of their life comfortably. And upon passing, the investors in the pool will then obviously generate profits. This is a great hedging strategy for life insurance companies, by the way. They buy uh, contracts from other companies to have on their books. Institutional companies buy that, again, for stability, to stabilize a portfolio. Uh, big purchasers of it is Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. There's a lot of folks that are buying a lot of that. It's a very interesting asset class. It's something that I didn't really Really know existed prior to six years ago, but it's fascinating. And to see a win-win in there too is nice because initially it comes across as pretty sleazy, but if you learn more about it, you really start to know there's actually a win-win here for folks on both sides of this.
2: Why would a fund want to pay four to five X on the cash value of the policy? How does that make
0: sense? Because they're looking at, I mean, in life insurance is a fascinating industry. If you look at underwriting, how accurate they are, I mean, you would fall off your chair. If you look at, you know, they can pick any person and then basically have certain data points that they can run through. And they could probably with very, very, very point on accuracy, determine how long that person will live. So these folks do it. Number one, they buy equity. In an investment already, think about it. They already know what the payout's going to be. So they know through the algorithms and the data that they have and the underwriters, more or less how long those folks would live. And then essentially what their profit would be on every single policy that they buy. Mm-hmm. So the obviously time plays a factor into that, but they have risk management strategies too, because you still have to pay the premiums because you now own the policy. But yeah, it's essentially one of those asset classes where you literally buy, you buy your equity with the investment. You know the payout already, and now it's just sort of the time that's going to factor into it.
2: Fascinating. Oh my gosh. Well, we could sit here and chat all day about all the different asset classes, but We'll get to towards the end of the show where everybody can get a hold of that book because it's good, you guys. It's so awesome to be able to get a sneak peek. When I was first getting into real estate, that's what I did was did a little sneak peek, but there was no MC loveshire book on the 21 <laughs> different asset classes. So I had to go down the Google rabbit hole to do all the legwork myself. So we're going to move into the last part of our show, the life and money show spotlight round, which you may remember from the last time you were on the show, it's yep. changed a little bit, but. We're going to ask you three questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you are doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design?
0: I love the intentional part of that question. One thing that has been a complete game changer for me, there's a concept of thinking time, which I adopted from Keith Cunningham. He wrote it in his, in one of his books. But essentially what it is, is taking 45 minutes to an hour and you can have 30 minutes But just to sit down with a blank, just notepad and just write down some thoughts. And I have frameworks that guide my thinking on it, but it's one of the hardest things to do. That's why so few people engage in it, as Henry Ford would say. That's one of the things that have completely changed my life because I could sit, I could think, I get clarity every single day. And I think about my thinking and the level of my thinking and the quality of my thinking and the quality of the questions that I'm asking, because that determines your life.
2: Oh, that sounds so much like Keith. Oh, man. <laughs> what a funny guy he is. Hello? Yep. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard Keith as this mastery at Tony Robbins, I was in love with him from the moment I met him. He's just an amazing guy. But I love that thinking time whenever I have the time to do that also gives me the ability to reflect. And when I have the ability to reflect, I get those little downloads from the universe, the answers that I'm looking for that I can't find when I'm doing all of the busy, 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 going, going, going work all of the time. And so having these moments to think about what you should be thinking about and things like that is so valuable. I started, Danny and I started doing that in our business where we block a chunk of time in our days to think about the business and to just sit back and stare off in a space and think. So I love that. All right, second question is around others' life and money. So, what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now?
0: This is a framework that I use to transform every day from scarcity mindset to abundance mindset. Most folks talk about having an abundant mindset. And I would say it doesn't necessarily just happen because we're just not wired that way. If we were wired that way, we wouldn't be alive right now because we have to wake up with some level of alertness uh, for dangers out there. Otherwise, the saber-toothed tiger would have gotten us outside of the cave. So instinctively, we do that. So there's a framework that I actually use from Strategic Coach called Dangerous Opportunities and Strengths and Strategic Coach. is created by Dan Sullivan. But essentially, that's a tool that I use every day in thinking time. So kind of. Plays a nicely into that, where I sit and I write down all the dangers to myself, my family, my business, and my investments. And I get all the dangers out there. And then I look at all the opportunities within those dangers. Because if there's an abundance of problems, challenges, and dangers, well, there's an abundance of opportunities out there. And then the strengths on the strength sides, I look at my skill set, my capabilities, my relationships. And that really gives me confidence when I go through that exercise because I've got all the dangers out of the way. I'm aware of them. I see all start to see opportunities developing and I get excited about them. And then I'm like, do I have the skills and the capabilities and the relationships to go go get them, to go, go after them? So it really transforms me and takes me from. Here I am. I'm aware of all the dangers, but over to abundance, now starting to see the opportunities and how I can capitalize on them.
2: Oh my God. That's so powerful. And you have it on paper in front of you to look at. So it's not like you're trying to convince yourself. You see it there on paper. You wrote it yourself and it's evidence that just as these potential pitfalls may exist, these opportunities also likely have to exist. And our coach talks about that all the time is this this idea that if one thing negatively exists, then the opposite must also be true, that this is a potential for something that could happen as written down is awesome. I'm going to have to do that. I might add that to my morning routine. I love it. All right. Well, last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place?
0: Yes. So obviously our charities that we contribute towards, but what my philosophy is, if you want to make the world a better place, start at home start right in your own house. And so we're investing heavily in our children in experiences and teaching them our principles and our values and our philosophy and that's been a main focus because I realized that you know it has to start in your own home. So you do it in your own home and then within your community and then it'll be a little ripple out to the rest of the world and that's something that anybody can do. There's no financial involvement there. You just start by investing your time which is your greatest resource and most valuable resource into your children and within your own home.
1: Love it. How old are your kids now, MC?
0: Three years old and four and a half. So we've got a lot of energy here. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, I love that you said that. That's something that Julie and I are super passionate about as well. And also, what I love about that is it anchors all these principles in even further for you because when you're teaching it, you're explaining it to a three year old or four year old or designing an experience where they'll learn some of these things, it anchors it in even more deeply for you because, as busy people, we're listening to a ton of podcasts, reading a ton of books all the time. So to sit down and intentionally choose which ones or how you're going to teach your three year old, your four year old, your 10 year old, and think about the language you're going to use and explain it in a way that they can understand. I think it's a powerful, powerful exercise.
0: Yeah. An example is my son. We just went on a ski trip. You know, he's four and a half and he started skiing and he was just, I mean, he was just having the time of his life and enjoying it much better than his dad was when I first started. But it all came from just installing confidence in him. He had some issues with swimming. We got them involved with survival swimming early on, and that built so much confidence. And one of the things that we keep saying is we never give up. We always try. We never give up. He was nervous about the skiing. You drive into a resort, you see these huge mountains, you see people skiing and so forth. And he said he was a little scared. And I said, it's okay to be scared. Dad's scared too. We're scared all the time. We're going to try anyway. We're not going to give up. And to see that then at the end he was like, I didn't give up. I was scared, but I did it. Tried it anyway and i said and look at what you did you were great you were better than i was the first time i tried so it's little things like that i think that could you could try and install from an early age things that that are very powerful but yet may seem a little bumper stickerish but it's so powerful at that age for them indeed
1: well mc we've gotten to the point in the show where i'm sure all of our listeners have been waiting for tell them where to get a copy of this book and tell them where they can follow up and learn more
0: Absolutely. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. The book is available on Amazon. It's the 21 Best Cashflow Niches, Creating Wealth and the Best Alternative Cashflow Investments, and at CashNinja.com. And when your listeners grab a copy of the book, just screenshot a proof of your purchase to my team at info at CashflowNinja.com, and we'll give you access to a digital version of the book. If you want to put it on a Kindle, we'll give you access to an audio version of the book too. If you want to listen to it while you're driving or working out or just uh, relaxing. And then I also put together a curated library of all of the interviews discussed of the asset classes in the book. So you don't have to listen to 800 podcasts. There's 21 in there discussing the niches and more bonus goodies, but it's available on Amazon or they could go to cashflowninja.com. We have links there too, where they can purchase a copy of the book.
1: MC Lobsher, founder of Cashflow Ninja and author of this incredible book, The 21 Best Cashflow Niches. MC, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and dropping all of this great wisdom for us and our listeners today.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blast having a conversation with you. You've
1: been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life & Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.